Welcome to Real Life. Hi, I'm Jim Miller, and you're listening to the Real Life LA podcast, coming to you from multiple locations in the San Gabriel Valley of sunny Southern California. We're a church for everyone, and we exist to lead people to Jesus, a community of grace with a God-sized vision that reaches from generation to generation. As you hear today's message, we pray that God speaks specifically to you and opens your heart and inspires you to live each day with more joy, beauty, and wonder. Hey, Real Life Church, it's Pastor Jim. It's good to be with you again. God bless you all. If you know you are, if you are a regular viewer uh, here of our online broadcast, you may realize that I am standing on a different stage in a different place today. And that is because we are repairing our roof at our Valley Center campus, which means for four weeks, we're moving our Sunday morning in-person services over to our Glendora campus. So it is a different uh, time and place on Sundays around here. If you choose to attend in person, make sure that first you go to reallife.la forward slash on the move, because we are a church on the move. And you can find out what we're doing and when and where uh, over here on Glendora campus. We've gone to three services and there's a brunch at one of the services. So it's just a different Sunday morning than it has been. That's for four weeks. So make sure you check before you drive out your door on a Sunday morning. And uh, we're also in a season here at Real Life Church of spending our lives seeking to bless the people around us, bless the community around us. We've been giving out blessing cards on Sundays in which we're writing names of eight people that we're going to seek to bless in our lives. We're going to pray for them. We're going to care for them. We're going to be an example of Jesus to them. We're going to invite them into God's family. And so that's, uh, that's what we're doing this season. So if you haven't grabbed one of those when you're here at church, grab one of those. Uh, or just make your own and then put that card somewhere where you'll see it every day and you can pray for people that you are you are blessing and caring for in your life. We've also got a special way that we're blessing people uh, far away this Sunday. Uh, this, this Sunday at Real Life is a Compassion Sunday where we are partnering with a nonprofit organization called Compassion International that invites people like us to care for children in developing nations around the world. And if you sign up to support a child, you get to send them uh, a monthly donation that provides their clothing and their food and their schools and their Christian education. It provides so much for a family in need. I've been supporting kids with Compassion International for decades, and it's been such a meaningful experience for me. You write letters back and forth. You get a picture of the, the kid that you get to put on your refrigerator. And if you've never done that before, you might want to take this step in, in blessing people and in generosity. And again, you go to reallife.la forward slash compassion. And you can uh, sponsor a kid right there through our website. Uh, or if you're here on Sunday, we, we give out little packets with the kid's picture in them. But if you've never done that before, I encourage you to take that on. That is an amazing way, a phenomenal way that God allows us to care for people on the other side of the planet. Uh, and in a couple of cases, I've gotten to meet the children that I was supporting in other countries. And in some cases, we, we never meet them, uh, but we know that we've done good. We've done transformational good in someone's life. In fact, one of the very first kids I supported, uh, I later found on social media, and he was married. He had gotten a college education. He had moved into an apartment, and he had escaped the poverty of his childhood through the work of Compassion International. And so, uh, again, check out reallife.la forward slash compassion this week and pray over whether or not God wants you to support a child in need somewhere in the world. 
All right, with that, we're going to dive back into our studies in the Gospel of Luke. We're looking at who Jesus is, who Jesus was back then, what he did, how he taught, and what that means for us today. And we've come to some challenging teachings in the life of Jesus, because there are points in Jesus' teaching where he calls us to make a real, definite decision about what we want to do with him, whether or not we want to embrace him or run away from him. But he has not left us the option of just staying neutral about what we think of him. And today we come to one of those texts. It's a challenging text and a text that calls us to make a decision. Before we get into our study of God's word, pray with me. Jesus, I thank you that as you walked the earth, you revealed yourself to us so that we could know clearly the decision that we're called to. And I ask that by the power of your spirit, you would touch hearts that are listening now and contemplating your call on their lives. Jesus, for anybody who's never yet taken that step of making a decision about what they're going to do with your message and your life, by the power of your spirit, empower them and challenge them now to deal with that real decision. And as we make decisions for you, Jesus, I ask that you'd pour out your love into the hearts of people who need you, that people would feel a a supernatural outpouring of your spirit as they turn in your direction. So now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. All right, we're going to pick up in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 13 at verse 22, and we're going to look at a teaching of Jesus when somebody asks him a question. So open up your Bibles, Luke 13, 22, and listen to God's Word. Then Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? Uh, I like this guy. This guy in the crowd is looking over the expanse of humanity and thinking, people are not good people. And he's just having a bad day, and he thinks to himself, I don't think anybody's going to make it in. And so he asks Jesus, are very few people going to be saved? Now, if you've grown up in a, in a nice context, in a good social environment with a nice family, you might think everybody out there in the world is just kind of sweet, that people are just kind of nice. But there are experiences that you may have along the way that changes that read on humanity. You may come to a place where, like this guy, you're asking, wait, are only a few people going to be saved? I mean, think about children living in the Ukraine today and how much their worldview has changed. They don't think the world is just filled with nice people. A lot of people changed their minds about humanity during the pandemic and went from fairly optimistic to fairly pessimistic. So we can relate to this guy who raises his hand and says, hey, are very few people going to be saved? Jesus said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Jesus is crafting a little little parable, a little image of what happens at the end of life as we make decisions about what we're going to do with Jesus, as we make decisions about what we're living for. There's a a narrow pathway that we might take that leads to life. Here's how Jesus gives the same teaching in another place in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 7. He says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, 
and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Now, that's a frightening message, but it's a message that comes with a powerful promise, as I'm going to show you. He goes on, back in Luke 13, 25. Once the owner of a house, once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. Then you will say, We ate and drank with you, and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets. These are the major figures of the Hebrew Scriptures, all the people that led God's chosen people, people of of. Uh, God's salvation. When you see Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves are thrown out. Now, this is a judgment parable, and this is frightening. It's a warning parable, because the day will come where I stand in front of God's throne and give an account of my life. There's no reincarnation. I don't get to do it again. This is it. And on that day, I don't want to have been a fan of Jesus. I want to have been a follower of Jesus. It's easy enough to be a fan of Jesus and say, sure, he was a great guy, and then do nothing with his teachings. But on that day, I want to have been a follower of Jesus, not a fan of Jesus. There will be those who say to Jesus, no, we ate dinner with you. You taught in our streets. We knew you. We're like buddies. And Jesus says on that day, for those who are only fans and not followers, Jesus, the owner of the house, will say, I I don't know who you are. We don't want to face a, a reality like that. And so this is a frightening parable. But Jesus does not tell this parable to scare the average believer. There are two specific targets that Jesus has in this parable, as we'll see. Verse 29, People will come from east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. And when Jesus describes heaven, he often describes it as a feast, as a banquet, as a party, as a place of celebration with lots of food. Indeed, there are those who will be last, those those who are last who will be first, and first who will be last. In other words, there are some who seem like they have it all figured out. And in the end, we're going to find out that they actually didn't quite have it right. And those who looked like they were second class will be moved to the front of the line. Jesus' first target is religious insiders. It's the group of people he often gets in conflicts with. The Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the people who think they have it all figured out. They take God for granted because they can use God to get what they want. They know the scriptures well, and they know how to use the scriptures to put other people down. And Jesus says, those people who in this world look like they're first are going to end up being last at the end. You don't want to be like one of those on that day when you stand in front of God. Now, this is an important warning in our modern context because it's entirely possible to settle into church and become familiar with the scriptures and the way of church people, but not become a person of worship. It's possible to go to church without going to worship. 
And in the end, Jesus who sees our heart will know that we didn't take him seriously, that we were a fan and not a follower. It's possible to do that in our modern context, but it would have been more likely to seize that in the, the Bible belt of my childhood than we see it in modern day California. Because I find in modern day California, I'm more likely to run into people who have never heard the story of Jesus before than I am to run into indoctrinated fundamentalists who have settled into a religious culture without caring about it. So it's still a fair warning to us. Don't be a person who settles into church as routine and loses a heart of worship. Don't be a fan and not a follower. But if it makes us nervous, we can relax a little bit. Jesus' target is not the average believer who sincerely wants to follow Jesus. It's the religious leaders who take God for granted. Now, here's a second target. Verse 31. At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. This is Herod, the king of the Jewish people, the son of Herod the Great. Herod the Great was the king of the Jewish people when Jesus was born. He died when Jesus was a, a baby. And then uh, his son uh, also takes the title Herod, Herod Antipas, uh, Antipas, Herod Antipas, and he becomes the king. And so they're warning Jesus, Herod wants to kill you. Jesus replied, go tell that fox, I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow, and on the third day, I will reach my goal. The third day is a reference to the fact that Jesus will die on the cross and rise from the dead on the third day. In any case, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside of Jerusalem. Jesus is predicting his own death. He's on a journey towards Jerusalem, and it will be the last journey of his life because he knows he will die in Jerusalem. Like so many prophets before him who called people to worship God and take God seriously, who called people to be followers of God and not just fans of God, and the religious elite killed them. The prophets were beaten up, stoned, sawn in half, and driven out of town. And it was the religious insiders that did it. It was the priests who had settled into the temple that made them comfortable and lost a heart for God. And Jesus now says, look, I'm in that role of the great Hebrew prophets who preached the truth and called people to worship and then were rejected by the religious. The second target is someone who uses God for political gain. Herod was a terrible leader. He, uh, uh, he actually uh, has John the Baptist beheaded. He'll, he'll play a role in Jesus' crucifixion. Uh, he leaves his wife for one of his brother's wives. And in all this, he says that he's king of the Jews, king of God's people, king of the people of worship. He's a politician who swears in with his hand on a Bible that he hasn't read and doesn't intend to follow. And that's Jesus' second target. It's the religious insiders and the people who use God for political gain and standing. And those are the people who had better be warned, the day's gonna come where they stand in front of God and give an account of their lives. And on that day when we stand in front of God's throne, they will have been merely fans of God. And God will say to them, I don't know who you are. 
This parable was not taught to frighten the average believer. It was to warn people who took God for granted. I asked someone at one point, are you a Christian? And he replied, well, my dad was a pastor. And what he meant was, I'm part of the right family group. And that's what was not what I was asking. That's not a sufficient answer. I've asked people, are you a Christian? And they've said, well, I was baptized. And that doesn't do it. That's not taking God seriously. That's being a fan instead of a follower. And this parable was spoken to warn those who are only fans and not followers. Verse 34, Jesus now approaching Jerusalem for the end of his life, the, the people of God who will betray him and reject him. And this is what he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, this parable ought to make us pause and ask, who's in and who's out? Because I'm concerned about the warning here. If the warning is there are people who think they're in, who find out on the last day they were out, I don't want to be one of those. Uh, pay attention to this. This is a question that makes people ask, wait, who do you say is going to hell? Uh, we have a foreign exchange student living in our house this year from France, and she did not grow up going to church, didn't have church experience, only knew of Christianity sort of secondhand through a culture of dead Catholicism. And one of her first questions she asked me was, who does your religion say goes to hell? Because that's how Christianity has become known. We've become known as condemnatory religious insiders who have a list of all the bad people that we're waiting to condemn. And that's exactly what Jesus is preaching against here. Be wary of becoming a religious insider who thinks you've got it all right. If you're first, you're going to find out in the end that you were actually last. Any, any text taken out of context just leaves you with a con. So you have to understand this text in the context of Jesus' audience and his intended targets. He does not want us to become comfortable religious insiders or politicians who swear with our hands on a Bible that we have not read. He doesn't want us to be religious fakes who are only in the church community because it's comfortable or convenient or makes us feel safe or makes us think we're on the good guys team. Jesus wants to plant his heart in us so that we live lives of worship, so that we're filled with his love and live every day seeking to be a blessing, so that when there's a child in desperate need on the other side of the world, we don't move on and ignore it. Instead, our hearts are moved to care. Jesus wants people who sincerely live for him and put him first. And it's easy, even in our context right here, to simply go to church and take God for granted and assume it's okay if we just have a weekly check-in with him. God wants followers 
not fans. And warning parables like this should make us stop and think, wait, which one am I? Where have I landed? Jesus is actually gracious to people who are seeking to follow him. He's, he's, not, he's not out to, to scare the average believer. He's, he's after the people who are fakes and who think that they're uh, religiously superior. He says here, famous line from Jesus, the first will be last and the last will be first. He says elsewhere, the day will come where the prostitutes enter the kingdom of heaven before the Pharisees, before the religious teachers. The, the last will be first and the first will be last. He doesn't want religious uh, superiors who look down on the rest of the world and think they've got it all figured out. He wants people of sincere faith who live for him. This uh, first will be last, last will be first line reminds me of something that happened to me when I was in, I think it was kindergarten. And uh, you know how in kindergarten you have that uh, time where uh, the teacher distributes snack. It's like the best part of the day is snack time. And uh, the teacher always asks for a volunteer to help give snack out to all the other kids. Remember this? And in kindergarten, you want to be the teacher's favorite. So everybody volunteers. The teacher asks for a volunteer. Say, oh, me, 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 me. And there was this one time where she said, who wants to give out the graham crackers? And everybody said, me, 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 me. And she said, Jimmy, will you help me distribute the snack? Yes, today is my day. Now, I didn't think about this ahead of time. Graham crackers are not are not your average snack. They they come in a, a board, you know, and it's perforated and you have to break the graham cracker right on the perforation, which when you have the dexterity of a kindergartner is a challenge. And I was never the sharpest tool in the shed anyway. So she hands me a bunch of graham crackers and tells me to go give these out to the other kids. And so I get up to the first table and I look at this perforated graham cracker. I don't think I've ever done this trick before. And, and I try to break it and it shatters like dropped crystal. And there's graham cracker on the desks and on the floor and in people's hair. And I've, I've got this, this handful of crumbs now. And this little girl sitting on that desk raises her hand and says, he doesn't know how to do it. Can I do it? Rebecca, we'll call her because that was her name and I'm still mad at her. And so the teacher says, yes, Rebecca, why don't you help? And so Rebecca takes the graham crackers and I sit down, you know, a failure. Uh, I have no future career now. There's everything's over. And Rebecca goes around the room and she is like a graham cracker surgeon. She breaks these things right on the perforation. She's uh, She moved up to honor snack the next year. So she's going around giving graham crackers and she's kind of doing it with a little bit of an attitude. It's like, right? All, all perfect. And I'm sitting there kind of forlorn and, you know, I've got, I've got nothing going for me now. And I know there will be one day where people go, you remember Jimmy? Yeah, he's living in a van down by the river now, ever since the graham cracker incident, right? Um, and I think the teacher picked up on what was going on. And she said, now we have, we have another part of the snack. Uh, we're also going to give out Hershey's Kisses. And she says, who would like to help give out the Hershey's Kisses? So everybody in the room, oh, me, 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 except me, because I've already, I'm a failure. So I sit there with, you know, not raising, not making eye contact. And she says, Jimmy, will you help me give out the, the Hershey's Kisses? Oh, okay. And she says, uh, it, how many of you like chocolate? And so everybody cheers. And she says, if you like chocolate, let's all cheer for Jimmy. And so people start chanting my name, Jimmy, Jimmy. And I'm giving out Hershey's kisses and I'm feeling good about myself. And when I get to Rebecca, I give it to her with a little attitude. Uh, and, uh, and, and suddenly I've been restored in the classroom, right? Suddenly I've been lifted back up again. 
And this is what Jesus means when he says the first will be last and the last will be first. He's not looking for religious elites who are proud of themselves and who lord it over other people. He's looking for people who live lives of humility and worship whom he can lift up. Luke hits this theme over and over and over again. He says, don't go and seek out the, the best table at the dinner party to be seen by all. Take a seat at the back and be humble and let the, the host of the party call you forward. Because what God wants is hearts of humility that live for sincere worship and compassionate generosity. That's what God wants. That's who God blesses. If you live that way, don't be nervous when you read parables like this one. It's not meant to scare the average believer. It's meant to challenge the Pharisee. It's meant to challenge Herod, who have taken God for granted and are using him to feel good about themselves and to look down at other people. The only warning in the passage to the average believer is one that's healthy for us. It, it contains a good promise in there. It says that Jesus wants us to make a real decision about who he is and not spend our lives waffling. And, and this is an important warning because it's impossible, uh, it, it's possible to settle into church and become comfortable and like the community, but ultimately to ignore the word, to ignore the teaching. And if you've settled into that that place where church is comfortable, but you haven't really bought into it. You're not really committed to God. You don't really pray because all that sounds like a foreign language to you. Jesus tells this parable for you too. Not to scare you, but to call you to make a real decision. When Jesus calls us to follow him, we really have to decide yes or no. We can't stay lukewarm in the middle. I remember once talking to a, a teenager who had joined a youth group and was going to church, and, and I asked, but, but, do you, but do you believe in Jesus? And she said, well, I, I don't know, I guess so. And that's exactly who this parable is for. Jesus wants to awaken us to making a real decision about who he is. We can't live our lives ambiguously on this one. We have to go either yes or no. Uh, it reminds me of a time I was walking through a, an airport and I was just, I was feeling ambiguous that day. I don't like traveling anyway. And I was walking through an airport and I couldn't decide if I wanted to stop and have coffee or not. I couldn't decide if I wanted to try to sleep on the plane or stay up. I didn't know if when I got to my destination, I wanted to go check in the hotel or go out. I, it was just an ambiguous kind of day. I really didn't feel like making any decisions at all. And I'm walking through this crowded airport terminal and around the corner comes one of those industrial golf carts and it is being driven by a fierce and sweating woman who looks like she thinks she's in NASCAR, shepherding a bunch of elderly people who look like they need immediate heart medication. And she is barreling down the, the, the terminal with that yellow light spinning and she's yelling, move! And as she comes at me, I realize I don't get to be ambiguous anymore. I'm either going to go to the right or I'm going to go to the left. But staying in the middle to see what happens is no longer an option because she is going to perforate me if I stay there. Jesus tells parables like this so that we realize you have to make a decision. You either have to say, yes, I want to live for Jesus because the, the pathway is narrow. And a lot of people are going to take the wide path of ambiguity 
or of taking God for granted. A lot of people aren't going to decide, and you don't want to be that person. The beautiful promise of the passage is that the door is open. A door that had been closed to us is now unlocked. That that narrow door used to be shut, and now we can pass through. When, When Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden in Genesis, they were locked out of the garden. The door was closed and locked. And before Jesus, if I were to stand in front of God on that last day, I would have no way to deal with the fact that I had sinned against God. But when Jesus died on the cross for you and me, the door was unlocked. The the pathway back into God's kingdom is open because we believe in Jesus. And now the door is there waiting to be opened. The doorknob is on our side. We have to make the choice, but Jesus is on the other side of the door waiting to be let in. He even says at one point, if you open the door to me, I'll come in and dine with you. He wants us eagerly to open the door. He he doesn't tell this parable because he's hoping that few people will enter the door. He's begging us to open it. The beautiful promise of this text is that when we make a decision for Jesus, a door that has been closed is now open to us. And all we have to do is say yes. So if you realize that you've never taken that step to follow Jesus before, or you've settled into comfortable church life without thinking too much about what it means, it's texts like this that are calling you to make a clear decision. Karl Barth, the great theologian of the 20th century said, tell me who Jesus is and I'll tell you who you are. Because how we stand on Jesus defines our identity. So make that decision now. Either reject Jesus and walk away from him or embrace him and call him Lord and Savior. And if you take that step and make him yours, live a life of worship and prayer and humility and love and generosity. Live like the day is going to come where you stand in front of God and you want to be able to say, I wasn't a fan, I was a follower. Pray with me. Jesus, we invite you into our lives. We thank you that you died on the cross for us to forgive our sins, and we receive that gift from you now. Put your Holy Spirit in our hearts and teach us to live lives of faith where we believe and we worship and we spend every day in dialogue with you, where we let go of the things of this world to live with compassion and love, especially for those who are in the most need. Thank you, Jesus, for new life in you. Amen. God bless you. Go be the church. Thanks for joining us today. Now, will you help us welcome others to real life? Share our podcast or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Real Life LA. If you'd like to become a supporter, please visit reallife.la and tap Give 
to help us welcome everyone to real life. God bless and have a wonderful day.